The Dr. Chris Griffin Show, Season 1, Episode 14. The strength of the team is each member. The strength of each member is the team. Now, who said that? Welcome to the Dr. Chris Griffin Show, your resource for leveraging systems and technology to ease your workload, increase productivity, and provide you with the time off you deserve to live the life of your dreams. It's time to practice productivity and the passionate pursuit of a better life with your host, Dr. Chris Griffin. The doctor is in. Folks, that was a good one. That was one of uh, my, well, you all know how much I love basketball. I talk about it all the time. And, uh, of course, NCAA is over now. Uh, I'm not as much of a pro basketball fan. But this particular quote came from the one, the only, Zen master himself, Phil Jackson, who coached not only the world-famous Chicago Bulls from the 90s with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, uh, who may you know, this year their record, the all-time uh, single-season wins record, is in jeopardy from the Golden State Warriors. And not that I don't think the Warriors are amazing, which they are, but, uh, of course, the Bulls are from my wheelhouse era. So, kind of hate to see the record fall, but he was their coach. Then he was coach for the Kobe, um, Kobe Bryant, Shaq, O'Neal, Lakers. Now he's a coach of the New York Knicks, not having as much luck with the Knicks this year. Uh, or last year, but uh, Phil, uh, you know, if anyone can turn that ship around, he can do it. But there's no question Phil Jackson has a place in history as one of the greatest thinking coaching minds ever to set foot on a basketball court. So that's wonders why I picked that quote, because when I was looking through good quotes for today's episode, which is all about staff and teamwork, this one just jumped off the page because it really is true. The strength of the team is each member, but the strength of each member is the team. That's so like Phil, such a Zen master quote. So anyway, today's episode is going to be uh, really awesome because we're going to go back to the, the Oklahoma City lecture, but this lecture is starting to get really good because as we deep dive into the practice achievement formula, and we all know that staff, that's the very first part of that formula, today we get to that part of the lecture and really get deep deep into detail on that and we're going to cover a lot of other cool things right we're going to talk about um you know how to avoid duplication in the practice we're going to talk about how to delegate how to be a real ceo how to develop team leaders uh just a lot of stuff okay it's going to be really awesome so listen up here we go now how do you count a case accepted when you chart it okay okay that's good that's good how about you all right. Do you know what your percentage is, y'all? Either one? What? You're lying. It's not 98. What are you talking about, 98? Huh? I've never heard of 98. 73 is decent. That's like what people shoot for in the world. Darn front desk trying. See, when you, she, she should know that she needs to at least get it close to the national average. <laughs> But, yeah, 98, golly, man, that's, yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I don't know about all that. Okay, well, good. Well, you have some interesting, uh, you have some Sherlocking to do next week. Yeah, right. See if you're really at 98%. Check up on, hey, what happened to that patient? Uh, 
Okay, anyway, get around to doing that. Now, the, uh, the thing that holds up a lot of people is financial arrangements. So I have probably managed to convince somebody they need something. They've probably said, okay, let's do it. But uh, the thing that holds us back a lot of times is the money. Is the money ever an issue in any of y'all's practices? Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that's the same in Oklahoma City. Uh, good. So that's the problem we all have everywhere. Now, I have already told you guys it bumps up the percentage of chance of you getting them to do it bumps up significantly if you can do it today while they're here. Now, it's not always possible, right? If I'm in the middle of doing that implant, I'm not going to try to work in another root canal and a crown on number 15 probably, but... Uh, but you know, within reason, there's always more time available than you think there is. Behind the scenes, they've got everything verified, so your team should be able to, if they, you know, staff feverishly charts what you say, get it into the computer, get it to the financial people in the back, you know, front office people who've already verified the insurance. They figure out the patient's part, and now it's time for somebody, whether it's you, I hope, you know, I'm too wimpy to do it myself, so I actually have... Lupita do my financial arrangements with people. And so she will in my practice go and now she's got a number and now she can figure out how they're actually gonna pay for it, right? So they make it, the patient's gonna make a decision. Uh, we hope that they're gonna accept the case, in which case we go into our really quick room setup protocol that involves a lot of cool stuff we'll talk about here in a minute. Do the treatment, you know, at the end of the appointment, that's, all, that's another way we get a lot of referrals is after the appointment's over, if you do a good job. Now, if they're bleeding everywhere and hurting real bad, you probably want to bypass this. But if everything went well, you got a little script that the assistant gives to them as they're walking them up and says, you know, we'd love to have more people like you here. And uh, checkout person at the front desk, they also have a little part in that. They give them a nice little card, uh, care to share card or whatever you want to call it. And then the person appoints for the next appointment. And if they didn't accept the case, then that's when we kick into our marketing protocols and we actually have follow-up where we do that by phone and by mail. And then if they still don't do anything, they go into our reactivation project protocol where we actually, every few months, we'll get the patients who haven't been in in zero to six months or, zero, or six to 13 months and we classify them and we send them mail pieces or column or whatever we decide to do for that particular reactivation project. So I'm going to a lot more detail here in a minute, but that's kind of a, a broad overview. That's how it works in my office. That's how things kind of flow through. That is generally the kind of looks I get behind my back when I'm telling my staff that I want them to do something in a hurry or something like that. That's one of the two things that Dr. Ted's staff changed their practice was the route board and the orange card, which I've got up here, which I'll show you guys in a minute too. All right, so but first, let's go through this staff, this staff part of the lecture, because that is one of the four parts of the formula. That is, uh, that, this was taken before the fire. This is four long-term staff. They're, make, they're smiling big because they're all making a lot of money. <laughs> and now there's only one left, and it's Lapita. Lapita's the only one left, right? Uh, all the others have gone away. It's sad, too, because I'm actually, uh, the third one there is cousin, my cousin. <laughs> she, she couldn't stick it out either. I, I went to high school with the first one. I went to high school with the first one, and this third one's my cousin, and they were, they're out of there. It's too, too tough, 
too tough, Dr. Griffin. And uh, Amber, actually, her husband moved to North Dakota in the oil fields, so it's not really, you know, whatever. But all right, let's take a couple of minutes with this, and I'm just going to share some insights for the doctor. Staff, close your eyes and ears. Don't watch any of this, or you might get a kick out of it. For two years, I actually taught a class in Atlanta that was just for dental staff. Doctors really were encouraged not to come. And so doctors would actually say, I want you to train my staff. And so I would train their staff, but I would know that if the doctor came, the staff would not act right. They wouldn't act honestly. They would lie and act like, you know, but if I get the staff away from the doctors, then I could sort of get to the bottom of some things and try to help the doctors actually come up with some solutions. So at each course, and uh, at each course, I don't know how many hundreds of people came through that course, but you know, every doctor's got six, seven, eight staff, would give a handout. And one of the questions on there was, I wish the doctor would. And it's always got the best answers. So here's some that I'll share with you. I wish the doctor would communicate better with his staff, be more aggressive with authority. I don't know who this person was, but and stop worrying if people like him or not, okay? This is actually, I got a lot of this actually. A lot of staff would tell me that their doctors worried so much about what the patients thought about them that it affected the way they treatment planned and it affected the way they asked for money and everything else. So this is just something that the staff thought. Here's another one. I wish the doctor would stand up and enforce his standards. Not worry whose toes he's stepping on. Make sure everyone is following his rules. And this is a theme too we heard all the time. Is a lot of team members would tell us that some tyrant in each office was running things, and, but they could get away with anything. And if I do something wrong, you know, whoever knows who's telling the truth in these deals. But it's something to think about because these are actual quotes. And I can guarantee you some people on your staff are saying things that are probably kind of like this. Ah, I wish the doctor would put his foot down and stop all of the office drama. Make sure everyone knows what is and isn't acceptable from his employees and stop trying to please everybody. You see a theme developing here? This is, this is something that, I mean, is here over and over. Communicate better with us and appreciate what we do. This is also a common theme. A lot of staff feels underappreciated. They feel like the doctor doesn't appreciate him. Um, he doesn't take time to listen to the issues that we have. We want to make the practice better. Now, I will say this. If you've actually got somebody that honestly says something like this, that's great, right? You've got somebody that cares about the practice. If you have somebody that truly cares about the practice and is not you, then you need to figure out how to make that person give them an environment where they can excel. I wish the doctor would allow our light to shine. Now this person went into some detail and it's literally, they one, two, three, four, let go of negativity, distrust, insecurity, uncertainty of his staff, communicate what he wants better. You know, I worry, anytime you see numbers in something like that, I would worry about it. Um, communicate with his staff more often and more clearly. Spend less time at his desk and more time with us. Now this is interesting. I used to get this a lot. Team members from all over the country and Canada would tell me, I can't get the doctor out of the office. He'll see a patient, he'll go run in his office and shut the door and I think he's just on the internet in there. I hear that all the time. And I'd have some doctors and I'd be like, hey man, uh, 
Is there a, surely this, this you, you, do you go in your office a lot? And uh, I had one guy tell me the truth. He's like, yeah, you know, I just hate being there so much. And I, I like to go in my office and watch hunting videos. Okay. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I heard this so much. It's gotta, there's got to be some truth to it. So it may be even somebody in this room that may do that more than they should. I don't know. Here was a good one. I wish the doctor would fire Tina or at least stand up to her. Follow through with the standards he has for the whole office. You see a trend here? It seems like a lot of offices have one person, you know, that everybody hates but just the doctor who loves her for whatever reason. I wish the doctor would talk to his wife about not calling so many times during the day. I always just thought, I'd throw that in for fun. Does anybody in here ever have that <laughs> issue? You know, what's funny is my wife actually used to, she used to call. During, I quit taking them, actually. I but then you get, you know, then you get in trouble at home. But uh, I'm so, that's one reason why I quit taking a lunch. Just, I'm like, listen, I work through lunch. I mean, what do you want me to do? I'm so busy. Uh, I wish the doctor would stop yelling at me in front of patients and get a new office manager, not his wife. Which now, I have to look in the mirror on this one because since the fire, my wife actually works at the front office. She's not the office manager, though, but she does work up there. And, you know, typical. She comes when she wants to come in and leaves when she wants to leave. So I'm a hypocrite. I wish the doctor would be a better leader, stand up, and let this practice be as good as we know it can be. That's a good, I mean, if you could really, I mean, I know the doctors would get ticked off at somebody telling them you need to be a better leader, but if you can have somebody that really cares, I mean, heck, figure out a way to make their life easier. How do we make their life easier? Now, here's where it gets tricky. Because we're trying to make everybody's life easier, our life, their life, whatever. But there's some painful parts to this. To make it really easier, you first have to set some standards. And part of the standards, you know, you really need job descriptions, okay? How many people are running around a dental office? And here's what we find. If somebody does not have clear job descriptions, don't feel bad if you don't. Like 10% of dentists probably do. So what you'll invariably have, we used to do this, like I said, as part of that big coaching program, and this would happen every time. So we would, one of the first projects we would do with people, so you guys are getting this for free, it's like $35,000. Uh, we would have the whole staff sit down and on a piece of paper, just write down line item, line item. What do you do in the practice? You know, turn on the lights, suction, whatever, you know, whatever. And then we would take and we would look at a staff and, you know, we'd just lay it out. We had a big old table before the fire and we'd lay them all out and I would say, all right, let's look for duplication. Okay? Invariably, two or three people would have exactly the same thing down for multiple stuff. Exactly the same thing. I mean, as simple as turning the lights on in the morning. It'd be three people that would think that was their job. Turn the nitrous tanks off at night. That would be on three or four people's list. Uh, you know, every, everything you could think of, from doing treatment plans to financial arrangements to verifying insurance cards, photocopying insurance cards, whatever it is, there's always duplication in every office and tons of it, right? So, what do you think happens when more than one person thinks something is their job? There's always somebody else to do it. 
It's always somebody else's fault or somebody else. Oh, I thought I thought somebody else was doing it. You know that. So one of the first things we would do is we would take and we would create a an actual job description for every person, and we would remove all that duplication, and we would take everything that was duplicated, and we would we would ask the doctor, "Who do you want to do this?" Three people say it's their job, and they would always say the doctor would always say, "Oh, really? I didn't know that. I I, I thought that it was Tina's job." So, you know, but the staff didn't know. So we would get all, and then we'd make a job description for every single person in the office. And um, that's painful, let me tell you. People paid me big money to set this up for them, and I would say 20, 25% ever actually followed through and did it. Even after we went to the trouble of giving it to the doctors, the doctors still wouldn't do it. Why do you think they wouldn't do it? Push back from the staff. They were scared to push back from the staff. They knew it was better for the practice, but they were scared to push back from the staff. Create team leaders. This is painful. There's always going to be somebody that's a... If you're the doctor, and the way that I compressed my work week from five days to three days, okay, was that I couldn't, I couldn't do every job, right? I had to take a lot of stuff off my plate so that when I'm at the office three days a week, if we're gonna, if we're basically, if we're gonna do a minimum at our office, we try to do a minimum of twelve thousand dollars in a workday, and my crown fee is six ninety three for a, you know, all porcelain crown, so it's low. So it's a lot of dentistry, right? Twelve grand a day. If we're gonna do that, and if we don't do that, there's problems. Things, money doesn't work out right. Then I cannot, I cannot have the hygienist coming up to me and asking me if she can get off work in six weeks. I cannot have uh, a, an employee coming up and telling me that her kid's sick. I can't have somebody coming up and having a complaint about the way they're being treated. I cannot have any of that. That cannot happen. I have to produce Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That's already not optimal days. That's just better for me. All right? So uh, this, this, all this other stuff has to go away. So how can it go away? Because, I mean, the, the bill it still has to run. I'm still the CEO. Play still has to happen. So the way that I fixed it and the way that these offices that have done well have fixed it is they will actually have one or two people that are in charge of different areas. And there's even, you can have three. Uh, you could have, so like in my office, we have an office team leader. We call it clerical team leader, and we have a clinical team leader. Well, since the fire and everybody quit, now we just have the one office manager. It's not ideal, but Lapita's the only one there that's really qualified, I think, to do the job. But uh, when we had a bigger staff and we had 14 ops, we had Lapita was in charge of the clinical staff, including the hygienist, which I know you guys don't like that, but like everything clinical flowed into her, and if she couldn't solve it, she could come talk to me. But that was it, because she knew how to talk to me. She knew not to interrupt me in the middle of something that was really important. She knew how to approach me, and so we get things done efficiently. And then one of the girls that did quit, Kim, everything in the office would flow to her, okay? And then she could come talk to me. But only two people in the office could ever come talk to me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And that's the only way you can make, if you want to really bust your production out, you have to be the doctor, you're the producer, you have to be the, that's all you can focus on. Because it's your responsibility to focus on your patients. One at a time. You, you can't think about anything but doing the best job possible for each patient one at a time.
That's all you could ask of yourself. But all this other stuff, somebody else needs to handle it for you. And I, you know, and it got to the point where nobody talked to me. I mean, even the two team leaders, they would just handle it. And then on Thursday mornings, I would have a one-hour meeting with my team leaders, and we would go over any problems during the week. Uh, and well, I still do this with Lapita, one hour every Thursday, usually from 9 to 10. I go in her office, everything for the week is solved. And nobody bugged me Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and that's how we produce so well Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, you have to set goals. The painful part about setting goals is when you don't hit them, you know, it's a little depressing. But you ought, you've got to eventually set some goals or there's no way you're going to grow. Uh, managing is hard. Man, managing is hard. Because if you don't have team leaders right now to take pressure off you, you have to create them, and there's problems there. Why do you think there's instantly a problem? If you, pick, if you have a team of 10 people and you pluck two out to become team leaders, what's the problem? Well, yeah, the staff is immediately ticked off because they didn't get picked. If you, if you take on the role of being a team leader or an office manager, you're taking on the hardest role. It's just like, you know, the, the deacons in a church. It's the hardest role there is. You think, oh, hey, it's a high position. But the truth is, it's the hardest job there because you're going to do the most work. It's just really difficult. And another painful part is measuring everything. So once you set these goals, you need to find a way to measure it. Uh, there was a... I don't know, back around 2005, I got on a kick where we did statistics for just about everything. And so there was a time when I would actually put these uh, little paper holders on the wall and had an operatory we weren't using. So I had it lined. I had 36 things we kept statistics on. And I'd have, the staff was responsible for drawing graphs and uh, it would chart our progress on each statistic. And that was really the, during one of the highest growth periods we ever had. So I know it worked. But yeah, still, that's a lot to do, right? So over time, we condensed all those 36 statistics down, and now we have six graphs that we keep in our conference room. And, and so there's only six now to keep up with that we feel like are the six most important. But I, I mean, there's something to say. If you, if you, it takes time, and it's painful. But if you will, at the beginning of any new project, if you'll really focus on measuring what you're doing, and coaching things to the measurement, I mean, I don't think there's any way to fail if you'll take the time to do that. The problem is taking the time. Yes, Brian? Man, I haven't done one in so long myself, it's going to be hard to remember. See, that's the beauty of this. You give this to your team leaders, and then you don't ever think about it again. So that's a good place then to end this deal. So, hey, look, I'm going to be good to my word since you were not at the lecture. I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer to the question that was posed to me. Hey, Dr. Griffin, what are those six statistics that you now have narrowed down from your wall 032 stats that you used to torture your team with? So, uh, so here we go, guys. Here are my six key statistics that I think every doctor should keep in their practice. Of course, obviously, production versus collection, office production and collection. That's a no-brainer. Got to keep your collections up pretty close to your production. Okay, and if you got write-off issues or PPO issues, you better figure them out and know that you're collecting what you're producing. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you need to chart hygiene production versus doctor production. You know what? Uh, there's nothing wrong with having whatever percentage of hygiene it is, as long as it's consistent and it's consistent with the way you practice. If you have a lot of kids, you're probably going to have a, a lot of hygiene volume. 
You know, you could you could enjoy checking hygiene. You might be the kind of doctor that wants 30, 35% hygiene in the practice. I personally like for it to be around 10, 15%, but that's your call. As long as you know what your practice needs, keep that stat. Okay, the next one, hygiene percentage time field versus doctor percentage time field. Okay, you need to figure out how much time is actually being wasted each day. Because you don't want your hygienist sitting around the back drinking Diet Cokes and reading People magazine. I said that for 10 years. Um, what I like to see is hygiene percentage time filled basically 100% if at all possible. Uh, sometimes it might even be over 100% if they're working in extra people and we're lending them assistance and helping them get more use out of the time on their schedule. But on the doctor's side, I like to see that hover around 75-80%. If it's more than that, you kind of have a tendency to have a sore back and get burnt out. Plus, if there's some time on the schedule to work stuff in, hey, that's where your big-time production can be. Today, the day I'm recording this, I was able to work in uh, our our, our dental office special, we'll call it the Griffin Dental Special, uh, core buildup, root canal, all porcelain crown. Okay? Uh, we worked that in at the end of the day. I was 15 minutes late for that extra production. Do you think it was worth it 15 minutes late for supper? Yes, it was. Okay? That's number three. Number four, new patients. Okay? Everybody knows new, new patients are the lifeblood of the practice. It's not anything new. Uh, we like to chart total new patients, and then we also have a notation on there for the number of direct referrals from patients because they are the best patients, the best new patients to come into the practice. Uh, number five, case acceptance percentage. We've talked a lot about this. I think the industry standard is considered to be 73%. Uh, it's a crazy number, but that's what I am told is good. We like to shoot for 75%. People tell me they have... 100%, 98% baloney, okay? That's not true. Somebody's either not keeping that stat right, somebody's lying to you, you don't want to hear the truth, uh, or your prices are so low that nobody says no to you. But even if they were free, people would not do it because they don't want to get their teeth drilled on and get shots, okay? So it's not 98%. You're living in a fantasy world. Figure out your true percentage and chart it. Okay, and the last one, this is one that I think only I keep because I may be the only person that thinks this is that important, but we chart crowns versus fillings. And why do we do that? We do that because I have a tendency to see a gigantic cavity in a tooth and let the patient talk me into doing a gigantic M-O-D-B-L-I-F-M-N-Q-R-S-T resin when I know I should be doing a crown, but they try to talk me into it for pricing purposes. Sometimes I just feel guilty and I let them do it. And a lot of times I just want to get the decay out of the tooth and I'm hoping later they'll do the crown. But if I see that filling number creeping up on me, um, then I don't like it. So I like to keep that ratio of about 2.5 fillings to one crown. Uh, if it gets up to like four to one, which I have a tendency to do with my bleeding heart, then um that's bad, and we try to go back and make sure we're really presenting the value of the crowns, okay? So that's my six statistics. Uh, that answers the question from Oklahoma City, too. So hopefully you now will know what you should be keeping up with in your practice and streamline that thing down and so that you don't have to keep 32 stats on your walls. So I think that was a great episode today, right? It's a lot of fun. We got into a lot of team stuff, a lot of team stuff. And I really had a great time, and um, hopefully you did too. And we 
will continue next week along the practice achievement formula. Keep working down the line, and uh, it's going to be a lot of good stuff then too, right? So, so tune in, and uh, we look forward to talking to you then. Okay, everybody, have a great week. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Dr. Chris Griffin Show. Be sure to visit drchrisgriffin.com for the latest resources and updates to keep you more productive every single day you're at the practice. So when you're not working, you can do the things that matter most in life. We look forward to having you join us for another episode of the Chris Griffin Show, where the doctor is always in. Always in.